Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled Betrayal Trauma Part 1 and 2, originally produced and published by Bloom for Women on the Love Rice Podcast. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy this episode. I'm so excited because today we talked to Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Now, she runs a private practice near Chicago where she focuses her therapy on relationship and sexuality issues. In fact, she wrote her dissertation on women's sense of sexual agency in their marriages, which ties right into what we're going to discuss today. So Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, she's what we would call a sex therapist. But this wasn't always the case. What did you want to be when you were little? Not a sex therapist. I wasn't thinking that. I would have flipped out if I had been told that. Go to first grade. What do you want to be, Jennifer, when you grow up? Actually, in short order, I actually, when I was in eighth grade or so, I knew I wanted to be a a therapist. I I knew that really appealed to me or an interior designer, one or the other. Right. um, But I thought maybe a child psychologist because that didn't feel so scary. And then when I got to be in high school, I thought maybe I want to be like a real adult psychologist. Um, and, but maybe I also still want to be an architect or, or, or a therapist, I mean, or an interior designer. And then I think I was just afraid of a PhD. I just didn't know if I could do it or not. But then once I got into college, I just got clear. Okay. I definitely want to be a therapist. So I channeled all my energy that way. And then once I got into my PhD program, I wanted to focus on sex. So, wow. Yeah. What a journey. Although I've been drawn to her work, I do struggle with some of her concepts. Even this interview was hard for me to digest. She asks real questions that beg real answers. But I think that's what I love. I love the challenge and I love the discovery. So this is a two-part interview. Part one, we're going to take a look at how some patterns keep us stagnant. And part two, which you'll get next week, we'll talk more about how to own our sexuality, whether we're in a relationship or not. For now, though, I just suggest taking the time to listen, maybe even listen twice, and see what pushes you to learn more. These days, we hear a lot about betrayal trauma. And if this phrase is new to you, it basically refers to the trauma that we feel when we've been betrayed. I mean, obviously, right? but really referring to the betrayal in a marriage or a partnership due to some kind of intimate deception, an affair, pornography, something like that. The rise of the idea behind betrayal trauma for many of us has been the godsend of validation that we've needed. Today though, I thought it would be interesting to, you know, widen our scope, widen it beyond the paradigm or the idea of trauma, maybe challenge ourselves, and see what's next. What do you think of the word um, or the phrase betrayal trauma? That's an excellent question because I do have a bit of a reaction to it, but I, but not really. I'm so here. Here's I don't I don't know if I. I think that it's partly a paradigm that is part of the problem, not mm-hmm. the solution, and so that's that will sort of come out in my responses. I'm not. I'm okay if people, because it does feel traumatic. It's extraordinarily disorienting to find out somebody you thought was trustworthy isn't. And it's, people can have symptoms that are PTSD, like no question around Mm -hmm. the disorientation that happens. And it's, 
overwhelming. So I don't take any issue with that. Um, and so I don't want me questioning it to be like minimizing my right. questioning of the paradigm. I'm certainly not minimizing of the experience. What I'm trying to open up more is the question of what development looks like. It's not just a repair of like getting this guy to promise you enough. He's faithful and you convincing yourself it's believable. It's about something developmentally different really happening because I think betrayal trauma, at least in my mind, the way that many clients talk about it, invokes this sense of their dependency that is inherently problematic. Mm. And so that's what I want to kind of challenge, hopefully, in the conversation cool. is the way we construct men and women and sexuality and how that impacts what healing looks like and that there's a whole different way of thinking about it that actually liberates people and I've seen be able to not just overcome and repair quote unquote, but actually develop something different and much better. Mm, I like so, that idea. I like the idea yeah. of liberation. Yeah. And that word right. is really like, I think when you come into the situation, you do feel the opposite of liberated, which is <laughs> trapped. Let me introduce you all to a little scabology 101. This is my theory. When something is mind-blowing as betrayal happens in our lives, whether it's from an affair or pornography or whatever it is, it feels like falling face first, you know, flat onto the bathroom floor, and it completely knocks us out. A lot of times we just stay there, crying, sobbing, unsure of everything. After a while, most of us, you know, come to our knees and wipe our tears away and we find a way to reach out. We get help. We meet people. We pay attention to ourselves and to our self-care. And then we get completely off the bathroom floor and, and we start to breathe again. We're standing. I mean, we're still in the bathroom, but we're standing. And this is a huge milestone. And then it just seems like we kind of get stuck in the bathroom. We go round and round, unable to find the door. And what resonates with me about what Dr. Finlayson Fife is saying is that this might be a way to move beyond the trauma, to get ourselves out of the bathroom, down the hall, past that front door, and out into our lives. So first questions first. I want to know, I mean, when a couple's gone through this, do we have a fair shot of, at healthy sexual intimacy in a relationship after betrayal? Well, I would say absolutely, although I don't want to minimize what that means. Um, I think people absolutely have a chance because I see human beings as fundamentally capable of development. And oftentimes these kinds of crises, um, as horrible and disorienting as they are, pressure development in at least one of the people, if not both. Sometimes it's just in the, devel the development of the betrayer or the betrayed. But when it's both people, then I have at least seen people be able to take the crisis and fundamentally pressure their development into something different mm -hmm. and much better than what they had before the crisis or the revelation of the betrayal. So in other words, kind of like the old adage of, you know, the coal under pressure turns into diamonds. You know, if, right. if you find that you're in this situation and you're able to make a diamond out of it and your spouse or partner is able to make a diamond out of it, it really is possible 
yes. to, to have a fair shot at, at coming back from this. That's how I think human development really happens. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes in the way we talk about attachment and disruption and attachment and betrayal, the goal sometimes is around just like repairing the attachment mm -hmm. rather than really evolving and developing something fundamentally better. So talk a little bit about that for me, if you could, the difference between those two. Well, it, it touches on a whole paradigm that um, I think there's two, there's perhaps I would say there's two paradigms in the therapy field of how people deal with relationships and issues such as infidelity. And I have been deeply influenced by David Schnarch's work, which is a differentiation-based approach. And uh, where probably the most typical approach in the field is a more of an attachment-based model. And without dragging you through all the specifics of that. <laughs> in layman's <laughs> and, terms, right? <laughs> yeah, in layman's terms. And also, I don't, to be fair, I don't have a full understanding of an attachment theory like, like therapists that practice it all the time. Mm. But my stereotype, at least, of the two different approaches is that an attachment approach is that you are fundamentally dependent upon the good functioning of other people for your good functioning, that basically what makes a marriage good is having a secure attachment. And so mm -hmm. a therapist is often trying to shape her clients or his clients into being people that are expressing um, safety and security and comfort to the other person, um, like a good parent-child relationship would be. And of course, in the model of a, of a betrayal, that person has become a very bad parent in the sense, you know, they've right. become a very right. bad, you know, they, they aren't yeah. the person you thought you could depend upon in this way. And it, so what I would say is that the paradigm creates a, a trap. You know, there's, if, if you're dependent upon this person, then they've demonstrated they're not dependable. They're not trustworthy. What do you do? Uh, how do you trust them? And as I often say to my clients, it's good judgment not to trust him. You know, they're like, I want to trust him, but I don't. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, I don't see any problem in not trusting him. That sounds like a function of good judgment. What they're really often trying to say to me is, but I want to trust him. I want right. the security that I thought I had. I know this so well, you know, but I want to trust him saying that to myself over and over again. I remember that with my own Mr. Scabs and I was always so confused with myself for feeling this way because I wanted to trust him. But why did I want to trust someone that had so deeply deceived me? You know, and I began to feel this conflict between what I wanted as a bonded attached couple and what I wanted for myself individually differentiated. A differentiation-based approach is pressuring the question of, is this dependency that we have created really um, good for either one of us? And if I'm not going to hang my hat on him making life secure for me, then what do I have to develop in myself to be a wiser, more solid person? Wait a minute. Let's, let's hear that again. <laughs> then what do I have to develop in myself to be a wiser, more solid person? Mm. And when you have two people who are willing to do that, you actually become more capable of intimacy and love than you were in that more dependent 
even if in some ways easier state that you were in pre-breach or pre-affair. So we're talking about two different theories or ways therapists approach relationship issues. The first is attachment theory, which defined by Dr. Finlayson 5 is basically the idea that we're dependent on the good functioning of other people for our good functioning. For example, I can no longer depend on Mr. Scabs to provide trust or stability, and so therefore I feel this kind of broken attachment toward him, a broken attachment that requires repair. The other theory is differentiation. And as Finlayson 5 describes here, it's a place of recognizing, you know, for example, I can no longer depend on Mr. Scab to provide trust or stability. And so therefore, I need to determine what changes I can make to become a wiser, right, more whole person. So would you say um, attachment theory is probably the norm among therapists or would you say I would say it's the norm and it certainly is a part of human experience attachment is but it's Mm -hmm. just not the whole picture is that we do want very much to belong to other people that's the attachment part of being human but we also want to belong to ourselves we want to know that we really matter to someone but we want to also be true to our own goals and dreams and wishes and our own Mm -hmm. development And so I think a good model accounts for both of those realities. And that's part of what's going on in affairs or in deception is this tension between wanting to belong to another person and belong to yourself, which I won't get into right now entirely because it would take me, (laughs) I'd be here for an hour, but um, (laughs) I wish we could, but yeah, yeah. You know, that brings up a thought for me also. So when you talk about the dependency model, I think of codependency. Mm-hmm. Is that in yes. the same? Codependency is an expression of that more attachment approach. I and I think, you know, in um, in a in a differentiation based, it might be the language that's used more around enmeshment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, and that is to say that you are creating collusions of dependency on someone so that you don't have to develop yourself. For example, a traditional marriage, which I studied quite a bit in my dissertation research is, you know, basically let's, let's, let's cut a deal here. I will depend on you. This is the female's position in a traditional marriage. I will depend on you to give me a life, to give me a sense of security, to give me a sense of direction and mattering, you know, Cinderella essentially. Right. right. And if you'll take away those anxieties of dealing with life on my own terms, I will basically forsake my development and be yours. But you need to make me feel good about me, okay? Mm. The man, the traditional position is the Prince Charming, which is to say, okay, I fine, I will take care of you, but I get to feel superior. I get to feel that I'm in control, I'm in charge, and that at least in the sexual realm, my wants matter more than yours. And, um, and that's the deal. I will be the kind of superior caretaker and you be the good daughter, but we will both depend on one another. One need, one is needy. The other needs to be needed. 
will depend, those are both needy positions. Needing to be needed is a needy position. We will depend on the validation we get from our respective roles to actually underfunction in our individual development. Pause, rewind. But we will both depend on one another. One, need, one is needy, the other needs to be needed. We'll depend, those are both needy positions. Needing to be needed is a needy position. We will depend on the validation we get from our respective roles to actually underfunction in our individual development. And when that gets ruptured, it's extremely disorienting. It can be. Yeah. Changes uh, you forever. Changes you forever. Mm -hmm. And what you do with it is extremely important in terms of whether or not it kills you or it makes you stronger. So, you know, generally it seems like there's one partner that wants sex or intimacy more than the other. I mean, is this kind of Mm -hmm. the, the norm? Okay. So, so when, when, some kind of betrayal or discovery of, uh, you know, a sexual issue comes up, it seems to me and to many of us that the conflict, this conflict between partners is magnified. Mm-hmm. Meaning, yep. you know, okay, okay, good. So may- meaning one partner is going to say, I need to have sex I, because I need to show you love. I need to connect. I need to really, I, I need it. Plus I just need it, you mm-hmm. know, and we'll never heal if we don't have sex. Um, so, you know, that's kind mm-hmm. of one, one argument. And then the other partner is saying things like, there is no way I want to be near you. I want to mm-hmm. be connected with you. I feel so dis- disconnected, even so far to say, you know, I feel used, unsafe, you know, humiliated. Right. Right. You know, the, the, you know, even desire or lust feels unsafe. Right. So, right. so talk a little bit about this conflict, if you would. Okay. It's like a where to start question. I know. I know. <laughs> because there's, really there's so, so much. much in that. So and much. what you're articulating is very much that paradigm that mm-hmm. I just talked about, mm-hmm. that, co- that codependency to use that yeah. frame or that, that, that collusion between a couple. Yeah, um, because what the man's saying is, look, I have my biological needs. I have my sexual entitlement here. And you were betraying my entitlement by not having more sex with me. That's why I went and looked at porn. That's why I had the affair. Mm -hmm. That's why I took an entitled deceptive position is because of you. Okay. It's obviously very problematic position to take. It holds no water, right? It holds no, it holds, I I, I don't want to quite say it holds no water because I don't want to obscure another conversation about this. I also think it's important which is when we construct a woman as sort of weak and, and not a whole person and sexually just accommodating men's sexual desire, um, then you, that's I'm trying to keep track of my, all my thoughts here. <laughs> you kind of co-construct a picture of um, she, both that she does owe it to him. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also that she has no sexuality of her own to speak of because she's this innocent part person, right? A lot of times, you know, we talk about the, the wives that have been harmed and hurt by their husband's lasciviousness, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's true that husbands being deceptive, um, selfish, you know, brutal, even it is, it is, destructive. Okay. That's absolutely true. But what I resist is the collusion in the idea that women are sexless and needy and desireless beings that need protection from these men whose sexuality will take them down in a heartbeat if they're not careful. Mm. It's, it's like a reinforcement of a paradigm that keeps everyone stuck. 
a little recap of part one. We talked about betrayal, sex, trauma, and the bathroom theory, and how sometimes we go round and round in certain patterns as individuals and also in relationships, and that keeps us stuck, you know, doing the same stuff over and over again and not quite getting the traction or the grip that we really need to progress. We will depend on the validation we get from our respective roles to actually underfunction in our mm-hmm. individual development. And when that gets ruptured, it's extremely disorienting. It can be. Yeah. Uh, changes you forever. Changes you forever. Mm-hmm. And what you do with it is extremely important in terms of whether or not it kills you or it makes you stronger. That is sex therapist, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, talking about a crossroads and how the very normal tendency to, you know, rely on our partners for helping us feel important turns into a roadblock. It's, it's not a fair conceptualization of men or women's sexuality or of their strength. And it's a cultural, it's a cultural validation of a very normal human dependency that we do best to grow out of. So it's a way of kind of culturally validating our underdevelopment as people. Next, Dr. Finlayson Fife gives us another way of looking at the conflict we talked about last week. So when some kind of betrayal or a sexual issue comes up, it seems to me that the conflict, this conflict between partners is magnified. Mm-hmm. Meaning one partner is going to say, I need to have sex because I need to show you love. I need to connect and we'll never heal if we don't have sex. And then the other partner is saying things like, there is no way I want to be near you. You know, I feel used, unsafe, you know, humiliated. So talk a little bit about this conflict, if you would. The illegitimate side of the man's argument is he's basically expressing his entitlement and he's expressing Basically, I have a right to deceive you, to take from you. If you don't give me what I want, you're not upholding your side of the deal. Therefore, I'm justified. Okay. So he's basically saying, I want to solve the issue of my entitlement with more entitlement. Mm -hmm. And she justifiably says, hell no, I'm not doing that. Okay. Now, the legitimate side potentially of his argument is Mm -hmm. to say that men aren't the only ones that betray that is to say men, the only, there's not only one way to use your sexuality for ill, right? You can use your sexuality for ill by basically, um, using it in ways that are destructive to the marriage, um, by taking your sexuality outside of the marriage without knowledge or consent from the person you promised to not do that to. Mm-hmm. Um, that is clearly a way that, men can betray or or women can betray that way also. But it's also a betrayal, in my opinion, to say, I want to enter into a sexual relationship with you. Okay. That's what a marriage is in its core. It's a love relationship, but it's also a special kind of love relationship because it includes sex Mm -hmm. or lust even is the word I would use. Okay. We use lust pejoratively often, but, but that like that sexual desire is part of what brings a couple together. It's a sexual agreement that we are going to bring our sexuality to one another 
Now, many people get into that arrangement, and I'm going to just speak in the stereotypical way right now yeah, because sure. we're talking about women who are betrayed. Mm-hmm. And they say, you know what? My sexuality makes me uncomfortable. I don't really like the sex we're having. Maybe great judgment on the woman's part, right? Okay, that she doesn't like the kind of sex they're having, mm-hmm. meaning it's all about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nonetheless, I don't want to deal with my sexuality. I don't want to function like an equal here. I just want a protection from your sexuality by basically distancing from it. Not really taking responsibility for myself and my part in this sexual relationship and basically treating you like you're somebody to be accommodated or managed or whose sexuality is kind of in its core bad. A simple and maybe common example of this would be when a woman says, you know, she'd better have sex with her husband tonight because he's starting to get grumpy, difficult. When morning rolls around, she hopes that her accommodation will make things easier. Part of it is a paradigm shift because our whole culture doesn't really kind of talk about men men being the sexual beings. Mm -hmm. But frankly, if I were to say of the two sexes, who is more sexual, I think women win hands, hands down. In the case of betrayal... We seem to come to this, you know, kind of this sexual stalemate where the betrayed keeps their distance, and often for good reason. But the challenge here is in what backs the decision. It's a way of saying, I don't want to deal with what I said I would deal with. (laughs) Now, you can always, people can change their mind, okay? But in many of the people that I work with, they're not just saying, look, I've changed my mind. I don't want a sexual relationship with you. You can do with your sexuality what you please, okay, because I don't want to have anything to do with it. What they're often saying is, I don't want to have a sexual relationship with you. I don't want to deal with my sexuality, but don't you dare go anywhere else with this. This is the way that people can both be destructive and not deal with their own development. So it's also an entitled position to say, your sexuality is a problem and I don't want to deal with it, but don't go anywhere else with it. Keep it directed at me. I want to feel desired. I just want to control whether or not I respond to your desire. Respond doesn't always mean in a physical, let's have sex kind of way. There's a way to say no to sex to a partner who's betrayed that is about taking a solid position and there's a way to say no that's just about being punishing and retribu- retributional. Okay. So, so give me the example then of how how you say it in a way that's he- that's healthy and that's going to well. That move is the to marriage. say like I'm not. I, I may be really really upset with what you did. Okay. And to see who you really are, I am also upset about what I am seeing about how I've behaved relative to myself or how I've gone blind to who you are. Mm-hmm. That's disorienting and distressing. And I'm not willing to keep doing this to myself anymore. And I'm not willing to prop up the idea that you need sex for you to function. And this is my failure, that you went and were dishonest and Mm -hmm. did something you knew I would not be okay with and you hid it from me. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not going to validate in you the idea that it's my job to take care of this in you. Okay, to, to, to basically to manage your sexual needs so that you can therefore be honest. That's an idea I reject wholeheartedly. Okay. Yeah, when you say it that right. way, it sounds ridiculous. Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> On the other hand, I've also been negligent of this relationship and of me. I haven't been standing up for sex that I want. 
I haven't been standing up for my desires in this relationship like a grown woman. I've been waiting for you to take care of me. That's been bad for both of us. So the doc has been talking about two different ways that we can betray our marriages or partners. So the first is the more obvious one, you know, taking our sexuality outside of the relationship. And the second and less obvious is not responding to our partner's sexuality and more importantly, to our own sense of sexuality. So respond means being honest with ourselves and honest with our partners about the quality of our sexuality. For example, we feel good about our partner's desire, so we respond mind, body, and soul. Or the other scenario, we don't feel good about our partner's desire and respond by taking a stand. Maybe saying something like, I don't feel good about the kind of sex that we're having, and so I'm going to say no. Okay, now, Dr. Finlayson Fife has introduced us to what's kind of an unsettling idea. That not developing our own sexuality is a betrayal of ourselves and our relationships. Alright, let's hear more. That the woman, in this case, if I'm just keeping it in the stereotypical Mm -hmm. way can be depriving and i'm not saying that justifies a man dealing with that situation by going and looking at porn if that's against their marital agreement or having an affair i think that he still could deal with his marriage in a straightforward way with some integrity but it is also the context of a decision okay so which is i'm really not trying to say a partner is ever responsible for the choice the other person makes in the sense right, that only that person gets to make the choice. Right. But that's not to say that I have nothing to do with the marriage that we've created in which this choice was chosen, was, was made. But the upside of the woman is you know, I don't want to be beholden to your sexuality. That's, that's the legitimate part of go. Right. No, I don't, I'm not here to service you anymore. And often that's precisely what these crises are pushing a woman to deal with is, I don't want to service you anymore, and I'm not willing to collude anymore in making our sexual relationship about you and your sexuality. Hmm. And I also want a sexual relationship. I also want good sex that I haven't been getting, by the way. Yes, (laughs) yes. That's part of my low desire. Right. So Uh maybe let's expand a little bit on that. Give me an idea of how a woman can care for her sexuality in this context. Right. Well, first of all, to stop seeing it as a prize to be handed over to a man or as a, you know, an accommodation, because women don't like it when men see their sexuality that way. Uh, But many women treat their sexuality in the same way. Right. So they don't like that a man sees their sexuality as something to service the man, but the women treat their sexuality like it's something to service the man. Now, I think, especially in traditional culture and faiths, that paradigm is handed to people. Women's sexuality is for men. Men are the sexual beings. Women are not. And so there's a collusion, even if it's unwittingly, in that idea. 
And so if a woman's going to take more ownership over sexuality, she has to say like, you know what? Part of what's been going on is I've had no desire because I've been rebelling against, I've been betraying of myself and my partner in a sense by, by buying into this idea that his sexuality and his desires are what run the show or that I'm going to resist in order to hold on to my own sense of self. Because, you know, the, women can take two positions around that view, which is, okay, I'll accommodate you or not tonight, dear, meaning I'm going to take a hold of my sense of self by resisting you. Okay. And so that's a betrayal of oneself and the legitimacy of one's sexuality, because as a woman, here it is, is I am sexual also. And my sexuality has been neglected in this marriage mm -hmm. by both of us. Mm -hmm. Right. And what is it that I want? What is it that, what kind of sexual relationship am I interested in having? Pause, rewind. What is it that I want? What is it that, what kind of sexual relationship am I interested in having? Yeah, this is a good question because I'm thinking, okay, yes, I think a lot of women think when this, when this has come down and they kind of clear the fog a little bit, they say, yeah, my sexual needs have not been met in this marriage and I haven't been, maybe I haven't been aware of them or maybe he hasn't been aware of them or, you know, both. How does a woman who's become, come to this awareness, turn the corner? How does she turn the corner in her marriage and with her partner? She, she has to really take up the question of, I've been devalued by both of us in this marriage. You know, he's devalued me enough to go and basically take what he wants at my expense mm -hmm. in an, in the version of deception or an affair. Right. And I have to, he, he gets to choose if he's going to do that. I can't control if he's going to do that or not, or stop doing it or come to himself and confront it or not. I can't control that. I can control whether or not I'm going to put up with that kind of treatment anymore. That I'm waking up to in myself also. It's not just he's acted on me. We created a marriage in which his, you know, his entitlement trumped. And I participated in it. And the question is, am I willing to keep participating in that? And the question is, am I willing to keep participating in that? And am I willing to keep second-classing my sexual desires or not? Now, it's scary to say, no, I'm not going to. That means you have to take more responsibility for yourself. And often we want someone else to validate that. That's what we're upset that our husband wasn't doing is legitimizing our desirability, our sexuality, taking, you know, validating that in us rather than if we can validate it in ourselves. That's the more important question. Women have far more sexual capacity than men do. They're, they're pickier, right? They, mm -hmm. they, they're, they're more choosy about the sex they want. Um, and they may take longer to engage their eroticism than a man. That's possible too. But that's different than saying women are sexually defective or dysfunctional inherently. That's or far sec from Second that. class sexual citizens. Yes. And mm -hmm. buying into that idea has undermined men and women. And even though it seemed to have serviced men at least up front, you know, but it undermines the development of men and women. 
So I think it's challenging that idea that I have kind of rejected my body, rejected my sexuality, been unwilling to really explore it. You know, often people growing up in religious paradigms have have distanced themselves from their sexuality in an effort to feel like a good woman, a woman that can be validated. And mm-hmm. those ideas have to be challenged if you're going to engage with your own body and sexuality in a different, more self-accepting way, if you're going to develop this part of yourself. Because I really see sexuality as integral to being human, whether you're male or female, right. and sexual development as integral to being human. And many of us, especially women, neglect that development. When someone has found out about a betrayal, they can often shock themselves that even though they had zero interest before in sex before they found out about it, in part because of good judgment about feeling who your husband is, okay, but in the face of the betrayal, they suddenly want to have sex, okay? Yeah. And a lot of people are shocked by this. It's yes. sort of like, screw you for doing this to me, and then come, but come screw me. Okay. And then literally, screw, yes. And let, I, right. I totally remember this happening yeah. to me. And yeah. part of it, what's happening, there's a, like a lot of things that are happening, which is you suddenly become aware of like, we are not connected at the hip. You are not just in my back pocket. You are your own person and you can do what you want. And I, that terrifies me. Like I don't have the control I thought I had. Mm-hmm. And so the desire for merger, I mean, it's not just about controlling people, but you know, just the sense that you feel like I know exactly where you are and who you are is been blown up. Mm-hmm. And the desire to just feel like you have that person again or that you're connected again becomes overwhelming and to do it sexually feels very important. So oftentimes women are confused by their own That's behavior. Confusing. <laughs> There's also an impulse to kind of like, I want to piss on my territory, kind of, you know what I mean? Like, I I want to sort of reestablish dominance here. Reclaim what's mine. Reclaim what's Mm -hmm. mine. Exactly Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. It's not that I really desire you or want to have a good relationship with you. I just don't want you to go anywhere. Right. Um, So I don't take any simple judgments around whether or not people should or shouldn't be doing that, that they're they're trying to sort of sort out what is happening inside of them. And that is okay. I think what I'm helping clients do is to really discern what they're doing. What is driving me to do this? Can I back that up in myself? Do I respect that decision in myself? What's it an expression of? Meaning, what does it say about who we've become as a couple? That that is what I'm choosing or not choosing. I want my clients to be clear headed in the face of those crises around who their spouse is and who they are, who their spouses become, who they've become, so that they can start making decisions around whether or not they're sexual that's based in their best judgment, not their reactivity, not their desire to re-engage or re-establish what they had before that, that was problematic at least. kind of like a sexual mindfulness, really. Yes. Yes. It's just, I want to help their wisdom to increase their self-awareness and their responsibility for their choices to increase. And I don't think that's about, I've got to manage his sexual needs that that's just not helpful. Mm -hmm. But what is it that I want to create differently between us? And what is, 
what do my choices have to do with that creation? So, you know, whether a woman is in a relationship or not in a relationship, mm-hmm. is there a difference in caring for your sexuality? No, not really. See, that's what I would actually like to say is like, you know, I absolutely agree with you because whether or not it's wise to re-engage with your partner has everything to do with what your partner's choosing, mm-hmm. right? right? Meaning you can't control that part. And, but what you can control at least is your own development and whether or not you're going to use this crisis to at least confront what, where your development had led you up to that point, whether it's going blind to who your spouse is, trusting more than the data would support or than who they really were that you need to confront. Like, why was I motivated to go blind? Meaning if a woman isn't clear that she could and would walk away if she needs to, then she is going to be motivated to go blind to data that would suggest that being with that person might not be a good idea. Meaning I'm not going to look at the red flags. Yeah, that very often, I'm not saying all women who are wise would always know, okay, but right. I, but on the other hand, there's often a lot of data that when I work with clients that they didn't want to deal with right. because they were afraid it would give them information they weren't sure they could handle. And so, so true. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm just thinking of my own experience. I mean, yes, yeah. I was terrified right. to know the, the reality yes. of what, and in retrospect, you look back and you're all, yes, yes, yes. You can see it all yeah. so clearly. Right. But, exactly. It's like the data points that don't fit together, but you don't ask another question. Yeah. yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. And you then have to take a look at yourself. You know, I don't just have a crisis of whether or not I trust my spouse. I have a crisis of whether or not I trust me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's. Let's rewind that. You know, I don't just have a crisis of whether or not I trust my spouse. I have a crisis of whether or not I trust me. Because I am not really taking responsibility for my life and my choices. I'm hanging it on somebody else who clearly from this crisis didn't deserve that kind of trust. You know, I was hanging on somebody who's not going to do well with it, apparently. Yeah. And so to take up the issue at a bare minimum of my relationship to myself, to my ability to discern, to my ability to take stand on my own two feet and take responsibility for my life, should I need to? Because when we've wanted the model that we can depend on someone else, we are going to want to be blind to whether or not they're dependable unless we feel clear that we can choose otherwise. Mm, Okay, wow. So what does this mean? Going blind to data, ignoring red flags, and a crisis of trusting ourselves and then really learning to be clear-headed, awake, and aware of our choices. Choices. Taking a clear stand for what we want. We can choose to have sex or not have sex, 
We can choose to change our mind right in the middle. We can choose to stay or to leave or sit and figure it out for a while. There's no judgment. And it's easy to stand confident in our choices when we can back them up in ourselves. And maybe this is where the bathroom theory gets a little clearer. What is it that um, that puts us in a puts us kind of in the mindset where we feel like we can't choose differently? So, so you can have cultures that will promote dependency in a certain form around your gender. Then there's also the human tendency to not want to take responsibility for our lives. Mm-hmm. We, m- most of us, most human beings are looking for leaders or ideas or faiths that take some of that anxiety down. And we want to kind of give someone else responsibility for our moral choices, for who we become because it's hard to tolerate the anxiety of really shouldering that responsibility yourself. So when you can get somebody to agree to that in a marriage, that's very compelling. You know, if I can get you to tell me I'm good enough and I can get you to validate me and tell me I'm just wonderful, I don't have to really deal with the question of whether or not I respect myself. Yeah. Wow. A lot of us leave these kinds of relationships, and there are a lot of us who stay, especially when there's incredible change, like we talked about in part one. It's not just a repair of like getting this guy to promise you enough he's faithful and you convincing yourself it's believable. It's about something developmentally different really happening and that there's a whole different way of thinking about it that actually liberates people and I've seen be able to not just overcome and repair, quote unquote, but actually develop something different and much better. And when this happens, we often wonder how we can re-engage in a full-bodied and wholehearted sexual experience with our partner. You want to be clear-headed about who you are and who your husband is at that point. And you may be really clear that your spouse has evolved and changed, and you may be even really clear that it's good judgment to re-engage with them, that, that you've both developed, that you both feel more clear. Oh, there's just so much to say. On the one <laughs> hand, the whole idea of being, the whole idea of being used, okay, is, is a little bit tricky because they're uh, certainly people use. They absolutely use, they exploit, mm-hmm. they will do things like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have sex on your body and this is not about you. And, and both people feel it. Okay. That said that when you have constructed a dependency model, you feel even more used because you are saying my sense of self is hinged on how you treat me. Where if you're like, I'm an adult woman and I get to decide whether or not I share myself with this person. Okay. He may get off on my body. Okay. But I made the decision to share myself and I can undo that decision. I can say, I don't want this kind of sex or I am, uh, I'm, I'm not, you're not with me and I don't want to have sex when you're not with me. Um, I get to decide how I engage my body and my sexuality. That's mine. It belongs to me and it's my choice and I can engage it or I can retract, you know, that engagement. 
And that's based on my assessment of whether or not I choose to be with you and how you're functioning. That takes the ability to accept yourself and your sexuality and to take ownership of it, that it's yours. It's not this prize that you hand over if he's behaving well. And oops, he's not behaving well, and I'm only figuring out that out halfway through sex. It's instead, I am here, and I expect to be respected, and I expect myself to respect myself. And if I track that you're not doing that, then I, I'm going to choose to say, I, I don't want this. That doesn't devalue the woman because she got used for, you know, quote unquote, she is, that's a strong woman saying, no, I get to define the terms of my involvement in this, and this is not the sex I want. It's for my enjoyment too. Absolutely. And it's integral to me and the whole, my whole self. That's mm. how I want you husband to treat it. That's how I'm going to treat it. Okay. And that's the experience I'm, I want to create with us. Yeah. yeah that's how, that's mm-hmm. how I want to relate to you sexually. If you're mm. not going to do that, I don't, I'm not interested in doing this. Mm. Okay. But I trust myself. I'm not trying to figure out, do you deserve the prize or not? I'm saying <laughs> I want to be with you as a whole person. And if you're not really doing that and I track that in you, uh, then I don't, this is not the sex I want. I want you to make love to me. Okay. Not have sex with my body. And if I think you're not doing that, then I'm, I don't want this sex. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group, and more. Thank you for being here.